So, I have the pleasure of introducing the uh, first couple uh, speakers for today. Uh, we went over all of the lectures last night. I think you're in for a real treat. I think we're all going to learn a lot today. I hope your score goes up accordingly. Um, and the next speaker will help you with your scores on monoclonal antibodies. Um, Magdalena Sobiestik, I'm working on my pronunciation, and with a name like Balberding, you get used to everything. Um, Magdalena is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, as of I think the last couple weeks now, uh, the new uh, chair, uh, chief of infectious disease at Columbia, following in Scott's uh, amazing uh, footsteps, uh, and will teach us about an important uh, new area of therapeutics and possibly prevention. We'll talk a little bit about that later. So Magdalena, welcome. Good morning, everybody. Hi. So I have the pleasure of talking to you this morning about therapeutic HIV vaccines and broadly neutralizing antibodies. Not a common topic um, for um, these lectures typically, but we wanted to push the boundaries a little bit and talk to you about the, what's in the pipeline, what kind of some opportunities that may be available in the future uh, for our patients. So I don't have any relevant financial affiliations to disclose to you, um, and the learning objectives are listed here. I really hope that at the end of this, you will be able to describe the goals and challenges of therapeutic vaccine development, and describe the status of clinical development of um, broadly neutralizing antibodies, affectionately known as BNABs, for treatment. And then we'll talk about some advances in, uh, in BNABs. And I'll start off by really sort of um, posing to you the question as to why would, you wa why would we want to pursue the ART antiretroviral free approaches uh, like therapeutic vaccines and BNABs to HIV treatment? And um, we'll talk about therapeutic vaccines and BNABs and talk about BNABs, uh, BNABs for treatment and potentially for cure. I will not touch much on broadly neutralizing antibodies for prevention because that's a whole topic in and of itself, but I know that Tripulic will um, touch on that um, very briefly. So why um, would we want to approach um, and pursue antiretroviral-free approaches to treatment? I would posit that it's, and I think we all know that it's impossible to eradicate HIV from the latent viral reservoirs with antiretrovirals alone. So we clearly need other approaches. And it's also likewise important to have options for our patients, including agents with potential for less frequent dosing or even less toxicity. There are, as we all know, gaps in delivery of antiretrovirals, um, and adherence and retention and care is a challenge for many of our patients. So um, taking that into consideration, and sort of also um, taking into consideration the fact that there is evidence, strong evidence, from individuals whose immune system can naturally um, control HIV without antiretrovirals, individuals such as long-term non-progressors or elite controllers. So it's sort of evidence from individuals like that that gives us sort of the rationale um, and hope in, um, that it's possible to in, um, induce effective um, kind of host um, immune response um, that can potentially be achieved with therapeutic vaccines. And then thus the question sort of arises, is it possible to augment this host immune response to the virus to kill infected CD4 T cells and neutralize the circulating variants in absence of antiretrovirals. 
And um, I want to examine this question through the lens of therapeutic vaccines first, and then broadly neutralizing antibodies. So let's start off with therapeutic vaccines. So what would be a goal of a therapeutic vaccine? So at minimum, if we had a low sort of bar uh, for threshold for success, you, we would simplify the antiretroviral regimens with the help of therapeutic vaccine, and we would allow for a period of analytic treatment interruption, ATI. Optimally, however, you would actually eliminate the need for antiretrovirals um, either by eradicating the virus or inducing a host immune response that's capable of controlling the virus um, replication. I would pose to you, however, and sort of, sort of right off the bat, that over the last um, decades of a therapeutic HIV vaccine development, despite the fact that you know, over four dozen of um, agents have been investigated to date in placebo-controlled studies that included the um, interruption of antiretroviral to measure efficacy of therapeutic vaccines, therapeutic vaccines have not been successful in achieving a durable suppression of um, HIV viremia. And I'll review very briefly um, kind of what um, some, some of the key um, studies that have, been, um, that have been performed, because I think they're important in terms of in teaching us um, how we can um, possibly move uh, forward in the future. So one, um, one study that was published recently, just a couple of uh, years ago, that really sort of illustrated very nicely kind of how investigators really try to use um, a DNA RVSV um, therapeutic vaccination um, in terms in sort of in hopes of achieving suppression of virologic of the virus. Um, it was unsuccessful um, following the sort of HIV viral rebound, following antiretroviral initiation, sorry, for following antiretroviral interruption. And if you can see kind of in the red group, you have your vaccine group where the virus rebounded after analytical treatment interruption. And then in the placebo group, the same rebound um, happened. What was actually very interesting about the study is that about a quarter of individuals who received the placebo sustained suppression of viremia after treatment interruption, which highlights a couple of important things, that there are these individuals who can naturally control the virus in the absence of um, antiretrovirals. And importantly, you need a placebo group in a study like that, because otherwise you would have sort of assumed that the vaccine did something, the vaccine was efficacious, but it was clearly there was a proportion of individuals who were able to control the virus um, alone. And then this table here gives you a summary of some key um, therapeutic HIV vaccine studies that were performed over the last five to seven years. And they sort of, they, um, they're sort of listed five here in the categories of dendritic cell um, vaccines. Again, that sort of induced very nicely broad um, immune responses and resulted in, in decrease of viral load, but it was transient. Um, and ALVAC, which is a canary pox vector vaccine, um, again, induced sort of nice CD4 and CD8 T cell responses, but they did not result in a, in a sustained suppression of viremia. And then um, the, um, the last, uh, at the bottom of the, of the table, MVA um, vaccine, which was actually administered together with a latency reversal agent. Again, it was safe and immunogenic, but did not have a durable effect on the viral load after treatment interruption. And so despite sort of these disappointments, I think the field is sort of still forging ahead and is sort of looking now forward at combining these therapeutic vaccines with other agents such as um, TLR, TLR7, autolite receptor um, 7 um, agonists, or latency reversal agents in the hope of um, sort of hitting the immune system 
and depleting the viral reservoirs. So I'm just mentioning this one study, which was quite provocative, where investigators um, in Boston looked at an ADS26 MVA vaccine alone or combined with these uh, toll-like receptor 7 agonists. And they noticed that the vaccine by itself, without the TLR7 agonists, induced sort of nice broad cellular immune responses that actually were not effective in controlling viral load. However, the results were quite different when the, in the group that had the, T, that had the vaccine plus the TLR7 agonists, where a reduction, um, almost a two-log reduction in viral load was noted. Um, and there was a delay in viral uh, rebound. So that's really sort of giving us hope that even though there are no randomized controlled trials that sort of show effectiveness of these therapeutic vaccines, the, we do know that these vaccines need to induce broad and host immune responses um, to recognize kind of the diverse viruses that rebound after treatment interruption. And there's also sort of kind of renewed interest in combining the vaccines with potent latency reversal agents or other immune modulators like TLR7 agonists to kind of induce long-lasting um, remission. So there'll be more studies coming forward in the future in that, uh, in that era. Um, so now let me turn over to broadly neutralizing antibodies as another set of potential for um, antiretroviral free kind of approaches that are being investigated through treatment. So let me ask you um, a question. Would, do you think any of your HIV infected patients right now be interested in broadly neutralizing antibody-based therapies as an alternative to antiretrovirals? So if you can vote. Let's see. All right. All right, so great, oh great. So now my patients are happy taking daily air antiretrovirals and I'm with you, I certainly have patients like that, 7%. About a third each sort of, you know, said that yes, potentially a certain proportion um, in the minority of you said that uh, more than 76% would be interested in, in exploring. And I think it behooves us as practitioners who are sort of trying to make sure that we bring the latest developments um, in HIV treatment and prevention to our patients, to the clinic. It behooves us to know about this research and I hope to sort of illuminate it for you um, uh, during the rest of the lecture. So let's talk a little bit about immunology because I think in order to really appreciate kind of the complexity but also the polyfunctionality of the broadly neutralizing antibodies, it's really good to kind of to understand what that, this biologic, what this molecule um, is able to do by kind of dissecting it, sort of, sort of thinking about going back to med school and immunology and, and college about sort of um, the two key parts of the, um, of the an antibody. There is the antigen binding variable region, which is the business end, so to speak, of the BNAB. And that's the area that sort of can block to a virus or a, you know, an HIV in this case um, and can inhibit its replication by really blocking the viral entry into the cell. And that's what we mean when we call neutralization. The um, effector end or the, or the um, constant region, the FC region of the, virus, of the antibody um, is responsible for something called effector functions, which are really kind of the unique aspects of antibodies that are capable of engaging the um, host immune system and moderating such important activities such as um, you know, uh, killing of infected cells through ABCC antibody-dependent 
cell cytotoxicity or um, phagocytosis, harnessing of the NK cells, et cetera. And it's that activity, that ability of the virus to, of the antibody to do that, that sort of really opens up the door to this potential to clear latently infected cells and may enhance the immune response against HIV and potentially uh, target the latent viral reservoir. And so let me ask you just a question, sort of a basic question about them. Um, so basic about antibodies, testing a little bit of people's knowledge about broadly neutralizing antibodies. So if you can vote as to which statement um, is true with respect to um, broadly neutralizing antibodies that are being evaluated for treatment and prevention. So BNAPs can be engineered to extend their half-life uh, by mutating the FC portion, that effector, the um, constant region of the antibody. Bispecific and trispecific BNABs are being evaluated for treatment and prevention and have been shown in clinical studies to be well tolerated. And then current formulations of BNABs have to be administered approximately every two weeks um, to maintain cost constant serum levels. And then you can choose a variety of options. Okay, let's vote. I'm, I'm going to vote too, actually. Why not? Right, 120, okay. So, great, okay. So many of you, um, so first of all, the, the correct um, answer is um, the first one, that BNABs can be engineered to extend their half-life by mutating the FC portion of the antibody. The other responses had, um, there was, few things that were sort of wrong with some of them, and I'll cover all of these issues in the lecture, but essentially, while broadly neutralizing antibodies are being evaluated in clinical studies and have been shown to be safe and well-tolerated, the bispecific and trispecific BNABs are kind of a wave of the future, and they're only about to be evaluated in clinical studies, and I'll show you some exciting um, um, information about that. And then current formulation of BNABs have to be administered actually not less, more frequently, they can be administered every four to six weeks, so that's a good thing about them. Their half-lives are about two to three weeks, which sort of can extend the dosing interval, and there's a lot of um, advances, um, such as um, uh, introducing mutations in the FC receptor that can extend the half-life of these BNABs, and I'll tell you about that in a minute as well. So what are these BNABs? Um, against HIV, and how do we, you know, how, how do we come, how do we discover upon them? And it's really been sort of through advances in single um, cell cloning um, of antibodies, so and sort of also recognition that minority of individuals, um, anywhere between five to 10% or maybe up to 20%, develop the ability to neutralize their virus um, from the virus from different subtypes. And they're able to develop these antibodies about two to three years after infection. So it doesn't benefit that individual, however, but we've been able to, the uh, investigators have been able to fish out these antibodies and recognize that they're very broad and potent and can neutralize um, a whole host of, of um, different clades of viruses. And these antibodies target to relatively conserved regions of the envelope that have also been mapped out. And what's being investigated right now is this, whether or not the passive transfer of these antibodies for treatment and for prevention 
can, and for a possible eradication and cure, can have clinical impact. It can also guide the design of preventive vaccines. So I mentioned to you very briefly that these, that these BNADs take a while to develop in an HIV-infected individual. And it's also, this is sort of older data, but it illustrates that once they develop in that minority of individuals, they do not impact that, um, that individual's um, sort of rate of disease progression or uh, time to CD4 cell count less than 200. So they don't benefit the individual um, in and of itself. And that's data from a, uh, from a, sub, um, from a uh, cohort in Durban of um, acutely HIV-infected women. So what I'm trying to depict to you here is kind of give you a glimpse of what these broadly neutralizing antibodies target on the HIV envelope. And as I mentioned, it's been sort of through advances in the cloning um, um, kind of cloning um, techniques um, that have, have allowed the field to really kind of fish out these broadly neutralizing antibodies and define what targets they, um, they um, um, what targets on the, on the HIV envelope they attach to in order to block the viral uh, entry into the CD4 cell. And there are these targets that have been um, defined are the CD4 binding site, um, no brainer, GP1, GP41 emperor uh, region, this GP41 and GP120 interface, and then a V3 um, and a V1, V2 apex. And the, these are the attachment points of antibodies that are capable of neutralize, neutralizing a, wild, a wide range of um, HIV isolates. And um, over the last five years, a number of these broadly neutralizing antibodies have found their way into clinical studies um, and in, cl are in clinical development. And in this cartoon, I'm depicting only those that are sort of being actively investigated right now. There's a whole host of others that are, have either uh, been, um, uh, have come earlier or are about to be introduced into uh, non-human primate testing. And so a lot of sort of CD4 binding site antibodies, BRCA1, 3B, and C117 being tested for both treatment and prevention, as well as those who are attaching to V1, V2 glycan. So, but the real question is, if we infuse these antibodies in a clinical, uh, in a clinical setting, in a, in a human, uh, in, in, in individuals who are HIV infected, can they be potentially substituted um, and can they serve as a substitute for antiretroviral therapy? So some seminal studies that have been done and where I'm gonna tell you about briefly about two of them that were reported almost simultaneously um, really sort of showed evidence that when two antibodies, what the first one, 3B and C117, which targets the CD4 binding site, when infused um, passively um, into HIV viremic, infected and viremic individuals, it is able, and in the setting of treatment interruptions following infusion of these antibodies, the antibodies as a broadly neutralizing antibody is able to suppress viral rebound for a period of time, for an average of eight to four weeks compared to historical controls. What was interesting and important to note about this study in particular is that individuals who participated in the study, they were screened for whether or not they were infected with viruses that were sensitive to this neutralizing antibody. The next study that was um, um, reported almost simultaneously looked at VRCO1, also an anti-CD4 binding site antibody, and it was a similar study. It was actually two protocols that uh, enrolled individuals who were 
HIV infected and underwent an uh, analytical treatment interruption and received anywhere between three to eight infusions of this BRCA1 antibody. And the, they, the investigators looked at median time to plasma viral rebound, which was about anywhere between four to five weeks, depending on how many doses of antibody were um, administered. And that was longer than sort of what happened in historical controls when people stop antiretrovirals and you um, observe the um, viral, the dynamics of, uh, of the virus. Um, importantly, participants were not screened for VRCO1 sensitivity in this particular protocol. So modest, um, um, uh, sort of, you know, kind of inter, uh, modest delay in viral rebound, but sort of hints of, you know, what we can build on uh, moving into the future. So this table, um, it's a busy table, but it's summer, and you have the slides available later, but and it really summarizes kind of the findings from um, key um, clinical research studies involving BNAPs in HIV-infected individuals. And I should mention all of these are also being evaluated for prevention. But this is sort of looking at treatment and potential, uh, maybe even sort of um, affecting the viral reservoir. So all in all, it's been shown that all of these antibodies have on average, average been able to reduce um, the HIV viral load by about one and a half log after a single infusion in someone who's viremic. But we know that in setting of treatment interruption, um, there is a viral rebound that occurs. And in terms of, mon in, in respect, with respect to monotherapy, uh, resistant viruses, viruses that are resistant to these BNABs um, emerge um, after several weeks. There was some nice data that was presented at CROI that looked at one of these antibodies, PGT-121, that targets a V3 loop. Um, it was a first-in-human clinical research study that uh, proved, uh, showed that the antibody was safe and well-tolerated, both in HIV-uninfected and HIV-positive individuals. And when the, um, it was ana the analysis was done in viremic individuals who received this antibody, who, um, it was sort of noted that the response in terms of virologic control really depended on baseline viral load. Those individuals who had a high baseline viral load um, prior to uh, infusion of the BNAB had about a 1.7 log drop um, after rebound. Um, and then they developed resistant virus. But those individuals who had low baseline viral load were actually um, able to suppress a little bit better. And there were two individuals who suppressed um, after a single infusion of BNAB, um, suppressed for more than six months. So something to build on. So how do we optimize these modalities for uh, potential treatment of HIV infection? Um, so I think that what the field is looking at right now is clearly more potent antibodies, and we'll talk about that extending their half-life so they can be infused um, less frequently than last, uh, once a month. Combination of antibodies, sort of akin to what we, what's been done with antiretrovirals. Clearly, with monotherapy, you develop resistance. What if you combine uh, more than one uh, of these antibodies? And then we'll talk about the next generation, the bispecific and tri-specific. So potency and breadth. So, if you want to have a clinically viable product, the two things that we care about um, are the potency and, and breadth of these antibodies. So let me sort of tell you what, what, it, what it is that I mean by potency of, of an antibody. And it's depicted by something called IC50 or IC80. So essentially you're thinking about what dose or um, level of antibody do you need to, um, to, achieve, to administer in order to be able to neutralize 50 or 80% of the viral strain. So clearly, the lower the dose you'd have to administer, the more potent the an antibody and the more desirable. 
And then the other kind of metric we use is the breadth of the antibody. So what is the proportion of all the sort of circulating strains of various subtypes, subtypes? Is that antibody able to neutralize or block um, in terms of uh, making it incapable of entering uh, the virus? So of all the antibodies that have broadly neutralizing antibodies that have been isolated, you can actually rank and compare them next, you know, against each other. And what you can see is you can tell that, so this is your um, IC80 titers, so sort of the dose needed to neutralize 80% um, of the viruses. And you can see that the lower the bar would be sort of a more potent antibody and presumably more desirable. This is our VRCO1 and 3B and C117 um, anti-CD4 binding site antibodies. And then the, the breadth is sort of in this um, graphic is depicted as, you know, how many viruses are, is it able to neutralize or how many viruses are resistant to these antibodies. So clearly, you know, the lower the number, the sort of fewer viruses are resistant um, to this antibody, the more desirable it is. So just to sort of depict it in a slightly different way, if you kind of map them out, these are all the antibodies that are in clinical testing or about to enter clinical testing. If you're thinking about kind of, you know, um, neutralization breadth or increasing breadth and then potency, your sweet spot, your perfect antibody is somewhere here, right? It's like really potent and really broad. So perhaps some of these agents would be a little bit more promising. So, and that's being um, evaluated in clinical research studies. The other modification that is quite sort of it's being, um, ha is being has been investigated and sort of is actually now uh, being um, tested in, in clinical, um, clinical studies is whether or not you can extend the half-life of the antibody. And you can do that by introducing something called an LS mutation. It's just a two amino acid uh, mutation in that FC region of the antibody, um, the constant region. And it's been known to increase the um, affinity um, of that uh, antibody for the neonatal FC receptor, which sort of kind of um, allows for recirculation or recycling of the antibody in the serum and extends its plasma half-life, which again means that you can potentially dose it less frequently. And it's also been shown to increase the levels of the antibody at mucosal surface, which is kind of where you want them, right, in cases of sexual, uh, at least for acquisition for prevention of HIV. Um, and the studies with the LS versions are ongoing. Um, other modifica modifications to the FC region that actually sort of some data that was presented at CROI is that you can engineer um, that FC portion and there is an engineered variant of one of the antibodies, CGT121, that has an enhanced killing of the HIV infected CD4 T cells and uh, by NK cells. So you can potentially sort of make, um, kind of potentiate the, um, the potency of the antibody and maybe target the HIV reservoir. Um, and then I mentioned to you that sort of combination of antibodies, I think is really um, kind of the, the wave of the, of the future because in studies to date, it's actually been shown that if you have the rebound virus that's developed resistance to one antibody, is not cross-resistant to an antibody that targets another site or epitope on the, on the HIV virus, which is terrific because it means that really sort of gives us kind of evidence to hypothesize that if you combine these antibodies, you can sort of get a bigger bang for the buck. Um, and you can increase the overall breadth and potency of your, of your combination and prevent emergence of resistance. Because just like with antiretrovirals, you're hitting the virus at different um, key um, uh, areas. 
So that, um, that sort of hypothesis is sort of being supported by some non-human primate modeling data where you, um, you're sort of combining, um, you're, you're combining these, um, these neutralizing, broadly neutralizing antibodies depicted here as so-called monoclonal antibodies here. And you're using a combination of uh, three, in, uh, three in black, sorry, four uh, antibodies in black three in gray and kind of tannish combination of two antibodies. So by, sh by um, the curve is sort of shifting a little bit to the left, um, the more antibodies you combine, which means that you, ha you need a lower concentration um, of these antibodies together to neutralize a certain proportion of viruses. So again, you gain on potency. And this is being tested in prevention studies or will be tested in studies for prevention and has been tested whether or not combination antibodies can have a, a bigger impact uh, in individuals who are HIV infected and who undergo treatment interruption. So this is a study that was just published last year um, from uh, Michelle Newton-Zweig's group here at Rockefeller, where they um, enrolled uh, patients um, who had been biologically suppressed on antiretrovirals, and then they were um, pre-screened for sensitivity to these two antibodies. And they received three, a combination of two of these antibodies in three infusion, and then their treatment was interrupted. And they um, were able to suppress their uh, virus, um, especially if they had an antibody-sensitive virus, for a median of 21 weeks, so longer than what was seen with um, infusion of single antibody. And remarkably, two of individuals enrolled in this study were actually able to suppress their viremia, here depicted as a black line, depict their, uh, uh, suppress their viremia for much longer, beyond even after the levels of the antibody waned in the serum, thinking that maybe it's that effector function of the antibody that's doing something to kind of augment the host immune response. And that's what's important to kind of explore whether or not it can be a, a component of cure strategies. So just um, briefly, so combination DNAPs are certainly being explored um, kind of as, a, as, a, as an approach, whether or not it can increase the overall breadth and potency um, to prevent emergence, uh, emergence of resistance. And we think that in active viremia, you probably need a combination of three or four antibodies um, to cover kind of the swarm of viruses that emerge. Um, and then it's also sort of postulated whether or not we need to screen individuals for sensitivity to these antibodies pre-therapy to potentially reduce the number of BNAPs that would have to be used for treatment and to amplify efficacy. Um, there was um, some nice data presented at Croy about what kind of assays would you use to screen for sensitivity. Um, so there, was, there will be more to come on that in the near future. Um, but next generation of BNAPs, I think that was sort of exciting developments is by um, engineering a, a, a broadly neutralizing antibody into a single molecule that actually combines the specificity and is able to target multiple sites on the HIV envelope. So instead of putting together two or three broadly neutralizing antibodies, how about if you make one molecule where the, um, where the, um, variable, the, the variable region has actually sort of combined the specificities of more than one antibody? And these um, uh, agents are, it's just another, another cartoon kind of depicting what it could potentially look like. Uh, and these agents are either bispecific antibodies um, that are being developed by um, Aaron Diamond, um, where um, one arm of the, of the antibody binds kind of to the 
here, the emperor region um, on the, um, of the GP41, and the other arm binds either to a, a sort of a CD4 receptor or the CCR5 co-receptor. And these, this antibody is going to be entering into phase one clinical study next month, both for treatment and prevention. And then tri-specific antibody is one where it actually combines specificities of three sort of, is able to bind to three sites on the HIV envelope. And there was data presented at CROI um, from, um, from the Sanofi and BRC group where they sort of presented some really nice promising uh, non-human primate studies uh, that sort of um, documented that this particular antibody has really nice effector function and is able to lower the viral load um, in the simian HIV virus uh, in non-human primates. And this phase one study um, will be starting in HIV-infected individuals imminently under the auspices of the ACPG group. So more to come on that. So they haven't been tested in humans yet, but will be um, certainly this year. So just to sort of reflect a little bit, taking a step back, before we launch into moving this into, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered before this is sort of launched into clinical practice. And one would also sort of posit that we need a product that perhaps can be delivered every six months, um, perhaps as a subcutaneous injection, and can replace daily antiretroviral therapy, and is safe and well-tolerated and not expensive, of course. So there's you know, a lot of requirements that have to be met. But I think there is, and I'm hoping that I showed, demonstrated to you that there's a lot of excitement in the field about kind of what is possible with modern technology, and that given kind of this HIV genetic diversity and viral escape mechanism, we certainly have to use a combination approach in terms of combining the um, uh, more than one antibody together and perhaps screen for BNAP sensitivity prior to treatment, um, and then think about um, um, kind of, you know, alternative delivery systems, maybe through uh, viral vectors, et cetera. So in summary, I think this is sort of a promising approach, certainly to treatment and prevention, and I think it sort of expands our portfolio in terms of thinking about how to, um, you know, chip away at that latent reservoir thanks to the um, effector functions of these antibodies. Again, therapeutic vaccines have not really shown uh, much, much promise, but there are sort of more studies coming in terms of looking at combination strategies, therapeutic vaccines with latency reversing agents, um, and even perhaps with BNADs in order to um, diminish the viral reservoir. So acknowledgements, there are many people to thank for this lecture. Scott Hammer, certainly one of them, um, who's been um, a wonderful mentor um, over the years, and uh, other individuals who've either sort of helped with putting this together or have um, generously agreed um, to sort of share the slides in preparation for this. So thank you for your attention and take questions. Can you hear us? Yeah. Good. Uh, thank you very much. That was uh, a tour de force. And, you know, it, it is uh, not quite prime time for this in clinical practice, but it feels as though it is something that is a tool that's coming, mm -hmm. coming our way. Uh, I guess the, the, one of the questions I've had for a long time about this is uh, the cost of production, uh, what realistically um, might this cost if it makes it to our clinics and to our prescription pads mm -hmm. or prescription 
computers? Mm -hmm. No, that's a that's a fabulous question, and I I don't have a I don't have an easy answer for you because I think it really also depends. I think that's why there's a lot of work being done in trying to develop these bispecific antibodies or tri-specific antibodies, which will be just one molecule that can sort of harness the power of you know two or three antibodies, which would be um, at least maybe not cheaper to manufacture, but cheaper that to deliver rather than you know sort of um, consecutive sort of infusions or administrations of uh, of two or three two or three broadly neutralizing antibodies together. But I would imagine that, you know, in order for it to be cost-effective, it has to be, if not cheaper than antiretrovirals, then sort of comparatively priced, right? And we are still a long way from, from getting there. So uh, one of the question cards was, um, what are the people like, the patients like with HIV that are the source of, of these? Um, can you talk about how that process goes along? You mean that are the source of these broadly neutralizing? Of the, the, the BNAMs, yeah, yeah. So, you know, much of the data actually comes from these um, really well-designed observational cohort studies that, had hap that were taking place in sub-Saharan Africa, some here, majority of those. Um, and those are individuals who were um, diagnosed uh, during the early or acute HIV infection. So we really sort of were able to understand the evolution, not only of their virus, but also the evolution of that antibody as it was trying to chase after the virus to neutralize it. And in the majority of the cases, it failed, but in some, it was actually able to block the viral entry, a little too late for that particular individual. And those are, so those are, um, for example, from that Caprisa O2 cohort, those were all women um, who were young, childbearing, childbearing age. Uh, but unfortunately for that particular individual, it doesn't really make clinical difference whether or not they have that broadly neutralizing antibody or not. They may have a slightly lower viremia in the setting of um, no antiretroviral therapy, but those are not the long-term non-progressors from whom we've isolated majority of these antibodies. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, as these uh, are being uh, developed, just practically, what is the infusion like? Um, mm -hmm. How is it given? How long does it take? Um, are these really highly yeah. complicated yeah. processes? So, you know, no, and actually, I, I, most of the experience, my personal experience sort of comes from testing these uh, um, antibodies in the setting of prevention studies where we are evaluating one, actually an ongoing efficacy study where we're looking at VRCO1, CD4, CD4 binding site antibody, um, where individuals are at risk or high risk of HIV infection and we're looking at whether or not it can prevent acquisition of HIV infection. The infusion takes about, the first infusion is always a little bit longer because you wanna make sure that it's toler well tolerated, so it takes an hour. Subsequent infusions and subsequent visits take half an hour. And it's an intravenous infusion, which we thought would be actually a huge stumbling block for people, um, whether they are HIV infected or uninfected to participate. But it was quite remarkable that a lot of people um, are interested in participating in sort of in order to kind of be part of the, um, the scientific development. The infusions have been well tolerated now in about sort of thousands of individuals who received it. And it was also remarkable that even in sort of resource limited settings, um, such as um, Sub-Saharan Africa, it's been actually quite easy to implement a study like that where an infusion is being given um, in a you know, monitored setting. It doesn't have to be an inpatient hospitalization. Patients are just sort of coming in for an hour, then they're observed um, for about an hour after the infusion and um, with minimal sort of side effects. 
So one, uh, one question was uh, side effects. Are there any side effects with uh, these infusions? Yeah, so you know, what we always sort of theoretically sort of worry about and counsel patients about, you can have a, a range of sort of, you know, reactions to uh, uh, infusion of an of a antibody. And we know that data are from also from cancer studies, so from, from other literature that people can have an anaphylactic reaction, which we haven't seen at all. Um, they can have a di delayed hypersensitivity reactions, which we also have not seen to date, and sort of after doing actually really quite a large number of these infusions. The only sort of uh, reactions that we've seen is may have been um, 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 just, you know, local injection site or infusion site um, discomfort. In the setting, if it's in injected subcutaneously, you can have some localized erythema um, that is, uh, passes after a couple of weeks. We've had, you know, just minority of individuals who've um, experienced a rash or um, um, some um, um, kind of, you know, about a day or so after the infusion. But other than that, it's been sort of really quite remarkably well tolerated. So um, a, a really good question. Uh, would these have any role in people who have this extensive multi-drug resistant HIV? Does that affect the response to, uh, to, to these BNAPs? Yeah. So th that's a really great question. And I think it 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 hasn't been evaluated in individuals who have the multi-drug resistant um, um, uh, virus. However, one could postulate is that this could be an effective approach, right? Because we're sort of targeting um, sort of different epitopes or sites on the, on the viral envelope that presumably have, are pretty well conserved and are, are not sort of contributing to the multi-drug resistance. And there was actually sort of data from, um, so David Ho's um, group at Aaron Diamond, who's developing one of these bispecific antibodies, has also developed a, an agent called Ivarizumab that sort of targets the CD4 receptor, that's actually part of this bispecific antibody, that's being, it's, has been evaluated and is sort of is, um, approved to be used for individuals who have multi-drug resistant virus. So I would postulate that by developing biologics that target kind of, you know, sort of certain specific sites of vulnerability on the HIV um, envelope, you can actually perhaps circumvent some of the more common um, mechanisms of viral drug resistance that people develop after exposure to antiretrovirals. Of course, we know that resistance to mono, uh, broadly neutralizing antibodies develops as well. That's why I think you need to have these bispecific or tri-specific BNAPs or more than one BNAP infused at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, another really kind of interesting question. Uh, talk to us about uh, elite controllers. Is this, are, do these uh, mono, broadly neutralizing antibodies, is that why people are elite controllers? What's, what's yeah. the relationship, yeah. if any? So we think that, you know, with elite controllers, kind of the, the mechanism of control of HIV infection is probably either through um, HLA, um, sort of particular HLA subtypes, individuals who sort of harbor uh, certain HLA types are able to control um, viral replication. So that's kind of sort of mediated more through the cellular um, immunity and cellular kind of arm of the immune system rather than the um, neutral, you know, neutralizing antibody. However, um, I think it's, I sort of alluded to very briefly, some of the individuals who are able to control their viral load, not completely suppress it to below um, 50 copies and are not the um, elite controllers, but are able to um, suppress it to a certain extent, they, 
they do harbor some of these neutral, broadly neutralizing antibodies, but the long-term non-progressive, kind of the classic pathway, is not really um, uh, being asked. Let me be a little bit snarky now. Mm -hmm. um, you made a big point early in your talk that you know you really need placebo controls mm -hmm. because some people naturally uh, control after treatment interruption, but then you proceeded to show us a lot of studies uh, where there any, didn't yeah. have placebo controls, including especially the New England Journal, yeah. where the delays seem to be so pretty I, short. That's a very good point, and I think it's particularly important for those um, placebo-controlled studies were particularly important in the therapeutic vaccine trials or preventive vaccine studies, where you're sort of you're trying to induce a particular immune response um, from the host, and you want to you want to sort of get you know take away the back ground noise, so to speak, from the host um, himself or herself without the aid of the therapeutic vaccine. I think, you know, in the case of uh, BNABs, I think ideally, yes, you would have, um, if you're testing for efficacy, you certainly need a, 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 an efficacy okay. sort of for prevention, you need a control. I think these early initial studies of the BNABs were trying to show whether or not you can reduce viremia after treatment interruption, or if you can reduce viremia and acute HIV infection, um, but compared to historical controls of what's been observed in other studies. So another uh, good question is, uh, what do we know about the antiretroviral background regimens of these uh, treatment interruption studies? Does mm -hmm. the class of drug, um, PI, integrase inhibitor, have any effect on, on how they respond to these studies? Mm -hmm. So. Um, the, that, you know, many of these studies are actually sort of fairly small, so it's difficult to sort of do that kind of, you know, um, uh, subgroup analysis where you're trying to sort of discern exactly does the, um, does the type of antiretrovirals make a difference sort of leading into the treatment interruption. I can tell you that for majority of these studies, if there were individuals who may have been on NNRTIs, those were stopped prior to the analytical treatment interruptions and patients were put on integrase inhibitors, for example, just in order to kind of get away from any yeah, issues yeah. of, you know, is it just sort of waning, is there still some residual drug concentration that could be contributing to virologic control above and beyond the BNABs? Yeah. Um, and then a question, are there any longer term immunological consequences, hopefully beneficial ones, mm -hmm. uh, in a person who's gotten one of these and let's say has shown resistance, is there still any kind of impact on the, right. on the rest of the immune right. system? Right, so now that's, that's a terrific question, and I think also conversely, I think we need to, I think in any, of, you know, in any of these clinical research studies, we always have to take pause, take a step back, and make sure that there are no sort of adverse immunological consequences of what it is that we're doing, right? So that's why patients are followed, participants are followed very closely for long periods of time. Um, and then kind of as far as, you know, beneficial impacts, whether or not there's any sort of residual effects thanks to sort of that effector function, right, of the BNAB in terms of delayed um, um, phagocytosis or killing, I think that's being investigated very closely because that's sort of what the hope is, that that's what will kind of, you know, chip away at that latent reservoir. Um, so the hope is that, yes, there is some benefit. But it remains to be seen. It certainly has been seen in non-human primate studies where we know that there's sort of delayed killing from kind of augmented responses from CD8 T cells. We don't know what will happen in humans yet. Super. And then the last question was, Donna, will, the, will, the, will this talk be available online 
after the course? Yes. Yes? The slides will be available and the webcast uh, will be in about a week. So we can watch we'll it over and over. And many over. times. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was great. <laughs>